text for today. We're in Matthew chapter 7. We're just about at the end. We're just about at the end of our Sermon on the Mount series. Three passages left. And so we're in a fun one this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot get bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now we come to this straight from the narrow gate. And what follows on is not everyone who says to me. And interestingly, there's a lot of conversation right now about salvation and what it means to be saved in kind of like the theological world and and the popular kind of Christian writing world and so there's been a few books that have come out recently and uh, you know we've even like our uh, Australian kind of context some of those books have affected choices of what like the bookstores want to stock and there's like so there's this whole conversation going on in the wider Christian community uh, about what this kind of thing means. And so we read Romans, we read Paul, and, and we say, you know, if you confess with your mouth and believe, then you're saved. That's our... We forget to read Jesus. I'm not saying that that's not truth. But if you take it out of its context and forget what Jesus taught, see, Paul was building on the teachings of Jesus and living and walking out the teachings of Jesus. So it wasn't out of its context and in its right context, then those things start to make some sense. But if we're to just take that at face value out of its place in Scripture and then say, well, all I need to do is confess with my mouth, well, then we're at odds with what Jesus says because he says, not everyone who calls on my name, I'll recognize. And so here we are in this chapter, which if I was to, I was thinking about how I would summarize these three chapters. And I said, if verse six tells us how to not be divided and how to deal with what divides us. And chapter five tells us if we are divided, what side we start on in building a bridge. Then chapter 7 is probably the wisdom part. It's the conversational part of this narrative. It's the part where it says, okay, the reality is here we are and we're probably divided in many ways. The reality is this is the world that we face. So how do we get to that point where we're not divided? How do we get to these things and so a lot of these passages in chapter 7 are truth's intention or conversational. They're not, you can't play chapter 7 like a rule book and you certainly can't make it as simple fridge magnet 
kind of like some of, and I, I think the Beatitudes are as simple as it comes. This, then this, you know, it's, it, is, it is probably the closest to black and white that we get in Scripture. But chapter 7 isn't the same, and if we try to read it the same, we're going to get into trouble. Chapter 7 is a conversation. It's wisdom. It's extracting how do we bring these things back together in conversation? How do we bring some wisdom to this world that wants to take sides? And so we're told not to judge. And Lord, I wish every person who'd ever called anyone a false prophet or a wolf in sheep's clothing had read the first passage of this chapter. We've got to make sure that as we read this, we open it from the first passage of this chapter. Do not judge. This is not a way for us to stand here and pretend like we're holier than those who haven't got it all figured out yet. It's certainly not a way to draw lines in the sand and that's how I so often see this text used. I wrote in the post introducing the sermon topic yesterday that wolf in sheep's clothing is kind of like the argumentative equivalent when those on, you know, the more... uh, I can't use the word liberal because it's like so... like, But, you know, that kind of side of politics. The left, if you you have to... um, progressive even that like so but yeah it's, it's so like but yeah those on that if there is a side on that side will the the fallback argument is nazi right like it, if it's like the worst thing you can call someone is a nazi and on the other side the worst thing you can call someone is a communist right so it's it's funny how those two characters who are likely to do that kind of look very the same they just use different words and and so that's the, I feel like in the Christian world, it's not so much either of those, but it's wolf in sheep's clothing. It's like Kierkegaard, if you label, if you label me, you negate me, right? It's putting a label to shut down the conversation. Um, it's putting a label that gives you distance between someone who maybe you do feel confronted by their opinion because it's different. A wolf in sheep's clothing. And that's not to say there's not real wisdom in having discernment. That's exactly what this text is supposed to be saying. So it's not to say we just disregard and accept everything anyone ever told us. But the fruit of how this text is so often used is divisive, not something that helps put things back together. And so let's approach this text this morning from a put things back together mentality, not a divide mentality. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now, if we understand the Bible, none of this stands alone. Nothing that Jesus said didn't have some kind of background framework and so often, like, it's a ridiculous percentage of the New Testament that is directly quoting or at least very closely alluding to the old or Israel's scriptures, as I 
so uh, nicely got told off uh, by uh, one of the professors from college this week. It's not the Old, old Testament. That, um, that indicates that it's no longer something that um, is useful. And yeah, So it, he's like, they're Israel's scriptures because it's scripture. It's what Jesus referred to and it was... Um, you know, it was from that time. So, um, so much of this is quoting things. And so, out of interest, whenever I'm preaching a text, I like to look at where the correlations are. Um, the first use of this phrase goes back to the tribe of Benjamin. And we know throughout, if you've uh, followed the narrative, that Benjamin becomes known as the least of the tribes of Israel. Problematic, troublesome. Um, you find Gideon and uh, then later others who say that, you know, who, who am I? I'm from that, you know, you can't, uh, what have I got to offer? I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. It's like the worst thing you could say within, you know, within the crowd. Um, Sometimes I feel like, you know, we kind of do that. We like go, oh, I'm, I'm just from that part. You know, like that's how um, the tribe of Benjamin was seen. And so when the tribe of Benjamin is named in the 12 tribes of Israel, this is in, and Benjamin, who is as a uh, ravenous wolf devouring um, the what was it, devouring the resource, the spoils of Israel. So we already have an association of one part um, of the community being referred to, and then it follows as it goes on. And there are, there are reasons why, and this is kind of a whole, probably um, a whole couple of sermons or series on itself, why the tribe of Benjamin becomes known as that, and it's through a series of horrific injustices that... Um, you know, there are some things that happen that um, that God Himself names as not, um, you know, not things that He would have His people be known for, and so hence Benjamin becomes this kind of um, way of reflecting on what's not right. So it's there, and then it is found in three or four of the prophets' writings. Um, you'll find it in Jeremiah 23. You'll find it in Ezekiel 34. You'll find it um, in, I think, uh, in uh, two or three chapters of Ezekiel, actually. These references to one who devours the flock. But it doesn't call them a wolf. And this is where... I think sometimes we get sidetracked with this text and we get sidetracked with this teaching because it's not actually about some unknown from the outside, but it's actually a warning to those to acknowledge what is in them that starts to look like this. So if you read it again, it says they are inwardly as ravenous wolves. And so we imagine so they uh, wear the clothing of the sheep, 
or in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are as ravenous wolves. I'm going to go to that text in Ezekiel. So there are a number of things that each of these chapters where it refers to the the one who is inwardly as the wolf and characteristics and things that this is a warning against. And so when Jesus speaks about this, he is referring to all of those characteristics that we see through the scriptures that he's referring to. And it's not a pretty picture, let me tell you. In Ezekiel 22, it says that they've oppressed the poor and the needy and have exhorted, uh, extorted from the wanderer in the land without justice. I feel like I'm going to put that on my next protest sign. <laughs> I mean, if that's what a wolf in sheep's clothing looks like, one who denies the poor justice and one who mistreats the sojourner or the stranger, the refugee in our land, then suddenly we're kind of responsible here. This isn't about someone else who doesn't look like this. Suddenly it's pretty close to home. In Ezekiel 34, it speaks about the ones who eat the fat or the excess, the good things that it indicates, and clothes themselves with wool. So they literally wear what is produced by the sheep. They're rich off the backs of the sheep. Jeremiah 23 speaks about the one who devours and divides, who takes what's not rightfully theirs, who's dishonest, who speaks lies, who is an adulterer, cheats. This is the picture of this symbol that, or this image that we're being given. Who is it speaking about? Every single one of them starts, you shepherds of Israel, you shepherds of God's people. Suddenly you guys are off the hook. I'm in a bit of trouble here. They're speaking to those who would desire to lead, but lead in a way that looks like someone who inwardly devours instead of provides. I want to go to that one in Ezekiel. <laughs> Everyone's like, I'm so glad I came to church this morning. <laughs> but do you know, I feel like as much as this is a tough word, for me this was freeing. To go, Jesus isn't just saying, like, if you get your doctrine wrong, you know, if you get, like... Oh, you've, that word means that or that and how we've, like. But this is actually a warning against a mode of being that is present in humanity. It's not about one particular group of people, but this is a way that we are inclined as humans, particularly when power is involved, that this is where we're going to land and we need to be aware of it. Beware of 
false prophets. Why false prophets, I always wondered, not just false leaders or pastors or why false prophets? Because the prophet is the one who names things as they are and is supposed to point to what should be. And so the false prophet often points to something that isn't quite what is supposed to be. Instead of pointing to a world where everyone has enough, they point to one where you have enough. But maybe not everyone. Instead of pointing to a world where everyone is reconciled and invited into the love of God, they point to one where I'm in and you're out. Instead of pointing to a world where we will see all things restored and made new, they point to one where we conquer like ravenous wolves take advantage of everything as we so often have been responsible for. The word of the Lord came to me. I like this in the NRSV, mortal, <laughs> prophesy, it's actually son of man. But it is saying that. It's like you who are just a human, bring these words of God to others. Mortal, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, You shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves should not shepherds feed the sheep. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strayed. You have not sought the lost. And with force and hardness you ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And scattered they became food for wild animals. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over the mountains. On every high hill my sheep were scattered over the face of the earth. No one, you can almost hear the anguish. My sheep, my sheep, my sheep. And no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, says God, because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food. Since there was no shepherd and because my shepherd have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I am against the shepherds and I will demand my sheep at their hand. Suddenly when Jesus comes and says, I am the good shepherd, we have a bit of context. Because a good shepherd is great. But when the good shepherd comes as an answer to the word that's been spoken about bad shepherds, then it's life change, it's transformation. This is a new way forward. For thus says the Lord, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out as shepherds seek their flock. When they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places which they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out 
from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I'll bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the watercourses and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture and suddenly all of the motifs in Psalms around. He makes me lie down next to still waters and in green pastures. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak for the overindulged and the strong. I will destroy and I will feed them justice. We're destroy is actually very closely linked to the word humble in Hebrew. Um, The word humble is actually made up of the word destroy and the word walls or towers or cities. To be humbled was just to bring down that which never should have been built up against each other in the first place. This isn't a word of destruction against one group for another, but this is a word of justice for all. And in destruction of the things that are not godly, then freedom is bought even to those who are the exalted and the rich and the, you know, all of that. And isn't that for those of us in the privileged place that we are and encouragement because God's desire is that none should perish that all would encounter a good shepherd not that some would go you see if the high are brought low and the low are lifted up it was never about putting one in front of the other it was just about bringing them together I will set up over them one shepherd. We know who that is. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord God, will be their God. This is the promise. Not that we would spend our life trying to point out who the false prophet is or name the wolf in sheep's clothing, but that we would name what is in us that wants to rise up and be inwardly as a ravenous wolf and seek rather the good shepherd. That sometimes means, yes, like so much of this text talks about, that we have to name what is injustice and stand on the side of the oppressed but not judge not draw lines between who's in and who's out again it says watch out for false prophets you'll know them by their fruit what if we spent more time learning how to recognize good fruit than trying to call out false prophets? What if we spent more time trying to cultivate and demonstrate what is good fruit? What if we spent 
more time painting a better picture so that when something rises up that isn't what it's supposed to look like, that we would be able to recognise because sometimes I feel like our failure to recognise right now is a product of our own complacency because we haven't sought what is good fruit. We've sought blessing and favour. We've sought encounter and experience. But have we sought witness? We sought reconciliation, repentance, justice, equity. I will be their shepherd. Wherever we are at, wherever you stand in the face of something that looks like what we might call bad fruit. Our job is to hear the voice of our shepherd, not to call out false prophets. Yes, be aware. It's not our job. But it's incredible how a better witness does that anyway. It's incredible how seeing what God can do in and through the lives of his people when they come together and just become community. It's incredible as we begin to practice these things and are shaped and remade more like him, then there'll be less and less need to call out and more people being invited in. We come to a point where sometimes it looks like, and maybe it was this morning even, where someone said, you know, like, what, what are we ever even going to be able to do in the midst of what's, what's going on in the world? The answers that are needed seem so much bigger than we are. But if we realise it's not our job to call out everything that's false but just to be a picture of truth, then the responsibility is not a heavy burden. To seek truth and to live and walk in the love that is in Jesus, to walk in his grace and mercy, to come into this space and practice together what it looks like to be a people who are around a table together where everyone is made equal, where everyone's invited in. That's a yoke that isn't too heavy. That's a part we can play in a future much bigger than we are that feels like we could actually step into often uncertain, unknown, higher, wider, deeper. Yeah. With grey areas and complexity and challenges and conversations and the need to be able to face where we've gone wrong. I had a friend of mine 
who is currently in Thailand doing, um, she's been doing missions work there on and off for years. And I know that it's been a real battle for her in the last five years as she's taken up some studies and, and learning and as even the conversations in international aid and development begin to shift. Where she's recognised that some of the things that she's invested willingly, you know, with good intentions, motivated by the love of God, but some of those things aren't necessarily the best way to do things, uh, to see good outcomes in the long term. And, and as she's facing some of that and working through the difficulty, you know, she sent a video which um, was put together by uh, ACCI. And it doesn't just paint a picture of what's, what we've moved on to but actually acknowledges that there was a need to move on from some of the practices and the things that have been done in the past. And I feel like if we could do that kind of thing more, recognise and just say, oh, I thought that was the right thing to do. I thought that was the best way forward. I thought what I said wasn't going to hurt or be harmful to you. I didn't realise that things I was doing was, were problematic. You know, if we could only begin to be open about recognising those things. I think sometimes when we do, we move on and pretend like we never did it in the first place. But if our time is limited and people are precious, every time you are open enough, you actually invite someone else into being able to move into that space as well. Every time you share your story, there may be an opportunity for others to go, oh, maybe I had some part in that. Maybe it's okay. We live in this, I don't know what it is that makes us feel like we have to get everything perfect to be in, in any way valuable to society or even worth loving or being associated with and so intrinsically I watch even young people desperately try to deny they ever got anything wrong I don't know how many times a week I explain to my kids that it's okay that they got something wrong because you weren't born knowing everything I'm just trying to help you see you know a better way to do it in future but it's okay that you didn't know that Sometimes we have to say sorry for the harm that that caused or, or the difficulty or but why we have this. Maybe it's the picture perfect lives or the get it right kind of or get and you'll get somewhere. But if you don't, you might like whatever it is that's driving that. Let us name that and move on from that because it's not good. It's not good for us. It's not good for humanity. It's not good. I want to try and do that better. Sometimes I've been really good at saying that I didn't always know what I was doing, but not so great at naming where I went wrong. I want to get better at that. 
maybe acknowledging and, and recognizing some of the things that we need to shift and change. This is what humility requires of us. And it isn't something that we're born with a characteristic of either. Sometimes we see, you know, humility as some kind of innate character quality that some people are just incredibly good at. It's practice that we're invited to participate in. And I love that picture of destroying the walls. That's the Hebrew characters that make up the word humility. Destroy, break down that which divides us or even that which sets us above others. It reads literally as to be brought low and that's where we get that lowly and that idea. But in imagery, it's breaking down of something that was built up. See, God never set any one of us above another. But he sets us in families. And that means there's different roles and different parts to play, but never any that's more important than another. So as we come to the table this morning, so we prepare to come to a table where we all sit. Have you ever noticed when you sit around a dinner table... It doesn't matter how big or small, maybe, okay, maybe Torrin, because he's pretty small, he has to sit on a thing. But, you know, really doesn't matter how big or small a person, it's like, it's the great equaliser, like, where we can stand around and have coffee and, and some of us, you know, sort of maybe feel like we should go and sit down because, it, like, you know, if you're taller, it can feel a little bit awkward because you feel like you're standing over. And I don't know, I, like, um, I've been the same height since I was 12 years old, so I don't remember what it's like to be smaller than anyone. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's, it doesn't feel the same as when you sit across a table and really there's no functional difference. When we come to the table, it's like that, like we are the same, all in need of grace, all encountering the same grace, same God. I love that song, like people come together, strangers as neighbours. And just invite you to stand as you're able. So we pray a prayer And recognize just that, that sometimes we didn't know. Sometimes we did and we still choose to take the easy road out. But also realizing that our God is a God of grace who invites us to try again. Merciful God. We confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We've not loved you with our whole heart, not loved our neighbor, stranger, the enemy, as you first loved us. We're sorry. We repent. Teach us to walk in your will, to do things your way, Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. For the glory of your name. Amen. So this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord.
is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come. You who have much faith and you who have, a, you who have been here often, you have just come for the first time. You who have tried to follow Jesus, you who have failed in following Jesus, and you who have just decided to follow Jesus today, come. Let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Leave judgment behind. Receive mercy. Leave indifference behind. Recognize God's family. Leave now if necessary. Go and be a forgiver. Then run back because it is the Lord who invites us. It is God's will that those who desire Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit would encounter him here. So come. Lord, we acknowledge that you're present here. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that can make us whole. That can help us search what within us needs to change and be remade. That you are the good shepherd. You lead us into green pastures, make us lie down next to still waters. God, that that is your desire for the whole world, that the whole world would be filled with the knowledge of God, that every person you created would encounter the love of God in a way that they could speak that truth also. God, help us be a church that witnesses to that this week as we go. That as we're made whole and healed, that we would bring fullness and healing to the world around us. Amen. We're going to share our benediction. And so you can uh, say it with us. Church, we come as we are, but we are sent out not the sanctuary. He speaks over us a new name to bless and rebuild this city. So go, broadcast good news for the poor, let the blind see, set free the oppressed, live jubilee, let it be in his liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's kingdom of mercy. And all God's people said, Amen.